Hello everyone, my name is Zachary Rodier and welcome to episode 4 of the Quarantine Hockey HQ Podcast. Uh, We have a great interview uh, for you today with the one and only Kevin Rempel, who is a sledge hockey Paralympian uh, who won bronze at the Sochi Paralympics for Team Canada. Uh, He has such an inspiring story um, and even if you don't like hockey, I feel like this interview is good uh, for you as well because not only does he uh, talk about some sledge hockey and about his experience at the Paralympics, uh, but he tells his his inspiring uh, life story and some great messages. Uh, he's also a motivational speaker. Um, so at the end of his interview as well, he has some great messages uh, for you. Um, for dealing with the quarantine and COVID and trying to get back out there uh, into the world. Uh, We're also going to be talking a little bit about uh, some NHL news and when we will see the NHL coming back. Uh, We're not talking about any NHL recent signings this week um, just because uh, there's not many prominent ones right now, but if there's uh, big new ones, we'll talk about it in future podcasts. Anyway, uh, I hope you enjoy this great, inspiring interview with Kevin Rempel. The Quarantine Hockey HQ podcast is excited to welcome a 2014 Sochi Sledge Hockey Paralympian who won bras for Team Canada. Today's guest went through a lot to get to that moment. In 2006, he was paralyzed in a motocross accident uh, with doctors saying he would never be able to walk again. After dealing with this trauma, today's guest turned to sledge hockey to help him and his hard work paid off when he made Team Canada. After gaining bronze in Sochi, he now has his own book about his journey called Still Standing and has become a motivational speaker. He now also runs Sledge Hockey Experience, which is a team building activity which helps grow the sport of sledge hockey. Finally, today's guest began to learn how to walk and has beaten the odds and has been featured on in documentaries on TSN, BBC Sport, CBC, and CTV. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the inspiring Kevin Rempel to the podcast. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on today. Dude, I'm totally having you write all of my intros from now on. <laughs> thank you. That was uh, pretty awesome. I'm really excited to be here with you. Uh, thank you. Um, how are you spending uh, your time during quarantine? been working on developing a mental resilience program, actually. Uh, when quarantine happened, it was funny because so many people, it was funny in my mind in the sense that so many people had to like shift their life to now, not just working from home, but motivating themselves from home. And I said, that's the entrepreneur life. Like every day we work up, wake up with uh, uncertainty, uh, have to motivate ourselves and produce an income. So mm-hmm. for me, it was just to switch, flip the switch from keynote speaking on stage to learning how can I deliver my presence presentations virtually. And I built this uh, program about the actual tools and techniques I've experienced or used myself over the years to develop mental resilience. Perfect. And I know that my introduction, like you said, said a lot, um, but please um, explain more your story and how it led you to sledge hockey. Sure thing. You know, for anyone who would see me today, especially locally, I mean, I live in Toronto in Ontario, Canada. I'm known as a retired Paralympian in sledge hockey. And I played five years with Team Canada. 
And the backstory of why I got into Paralympic sport, you know, today I'm 37 years old, but when I was 23, I was riding freestyle motocross. That was my passion, my dream. Uh, ended up at my first show on Canada Day of 2006, or July 1st of 06. And then two weeks later, uh, on my second show, I ended up crashing, breaking my back pelvis and my ribs, and I was instantly paralyzed. Now, luckily, I was an incomplete paraplegic, not a complete, which meant I didn't sever my spinal cord. I had a chance to get better, and with a little bit of luck and a lot of hard work, I was back, I've gotten back up on my feet. But for, but for the crazy part of the story is not just was I paralyzed, the kicker is that my dad was also paralyzed four years before I was. So we were out deer hunting, building a tree stand. Uh, one of the branches my dad was standing on broke, and he fell two stories to the ground. So he became a complete paraplegic four years before I had my injury. So my mom had both husband and son in wheelchairs at the same time. And dad, as you can imagine, dealt with depression, but uh, had an incredible, diff incredibly difficult time living with his disability. His attitude uh, took a downward spiral. He developed a gambling addiction. Uh, mom left dad. Seven weeks later, my dad ended up taking his own life. That's horrible. And um, how did all of this uh, lead you um, to sledge hockey and for you to say, I want to be on Team Canada? Absolutely. So, you know, sledge hockey, sled hockey, or para ice hockey, for each of us who play, have definitely found that the sport has given us meaning and purpose and a community to uh, look forward to seeing as well as goals to aspire for and that was no different for me you know after my injury uh, and when dad passed away I still yet to even discover that Paralympic sport existed all I knew is that wheelchair racing was available I didn't know about murder ball like wheelchair rugby or wheel Paralympic tennis or basketball or sledge hockey mm -hmm. and so long story short I was at wheelchair basketball uh, got asked if I had ever heard of sledge I said no and I, and the guy, my friend said, it's real sick. You get to hit people with disabilities. And I was like, what? And, uh, as soon as I got on the ice, I just fell in love. And then that just took me on this entire journey of traveling the world, getting to be a paid athlete and, uh, and live an exciting life after having an injury as well. I think, which is really important for anyone who's had it, who has or acquired a disability at some point in their life to know that there's life after your disability. Yeah, because it's always interesting to hear about why um, people choose sled hockey or sledge hockey specifically, uh, because like you said, there's a ton of other adaptive sports um, and you, I guess you like it's to the hit best, people. It's the best, that's why. Yeah, it's the best <laughs> and I love, I love helping people uh, playing sledge hockey. Uh, so I like it as well because I like hockey. Um, but once you decide to start playing sledge hockey, what made you strive to uh, want to make Team Canada? How hard did you work and how long did it take once you started playing sledge hockey um, to get Team Canada? Because obviously, I mean, in Canada, hockey's the biggest sport. Everything. There's a lot of people that would dream to be on uh, Team Canada. For sure. You know, everyone's journey is different, of course. I made Team Canada two years after I started playing, though some players have made it in less than a year, and some, of course, have taken longer. Mm -hmm. And for me, I, the, answer, the short answer to that, because I got a, a DM on Instagram just a couple of days ago about that. It's like, how did you get discovered? Do you have to be mm -hmm. on a good team? And I'm like, the sledge hockey community, I think, across the, the globe is small enough that people know each other. And if you're on the come up, if you have the skills and the 
ability, people mm -hmm. will continue to share that, to pay attention to this, to you, to this individual player. And so for me, it was, it was getting recognized locally. Uh, the mm -hmm. time that I made the team was right after the Vancouver Paralympics. So there was a big transition in some players retiring and there was an, a big gap to fill with new talent. So the timing worked out really well. And I don't, I'm not sure what the second part of the question was, if I'm missing something, but just, it was just, uh, you know, put my head down and focus on trying to be my own personal best. I think you had asked about, well about discovering the sport. Like not only did I not know about Paralympics, but I didn't know about, uh, sorry, I didn't know about Paralympic sport, but I also didn't know about the Paralympics. Like I never watched the Olympics as a kid. And it was when I was at like 2 a.m. drinking a beer after I had my injury that somebody sent me a YouTube video of Canada competing and winning gold at that time in 2006 in Torino that at 2 a.m. at the age of 28 years old is when my dream to make the Paralympic team was even born. Wow. And uh, But obviously, to even get to Sochi is a dream come true. And with that last question, like how many times a week were you on the ice and or off the ice, putting in the work. Um, oh, did you have a lot else going on during that time, or was this your just uh, number one goal and focus? I think, again, it depends definitely on each individual, because I know some uh, players and or athletes who are either going to school full-time or part-time, or same thing with a job, full-time, part-time. I was in a very unique position in the sense that I was out of the house. I wasn't living at home with my parents, but um, I was in a financial position where I could devote 100% of my time to training and to my sport. So in the four-year window ramping up from Vancouver to Sochi, uh, you know, an average training t uh, week would still look like, you know, three times in the gym, two to three times on the ice. And then when Sochi came around, you know, in that six to 12-month window, especially in the last six months, we were in the gym five days a week, ice time sometimes six or seven times a week, which was, it was a lot, but uh, it was also super fun because our conditioning was so good in the sense that like, we weren't getting tired at the end of uh, our, our sessions because that was just our nature. So it was, yeah, it was. And uh, more before uh, we get specifically to Sochi, obviously after striving to, uh, make Team Canada. Explain the feeling uh, when you heard that you made it. Well, I got a cool, I could share a cool story about that. So Good. to describe the feeling, you know, I dreamt about this for so long, wanted to be a paid athlete, uh, wanted to be one of the best in high performance sport. I'm at Team Canada camp. And during one of the practices, I reach for a puck and my stick falls out of my hand, but I grab it at the very butt end of the stick where I grab the picks. Yeah. And when I grab the picks, the pick slit my, the palm oh, of my glove open. Gosh. And I didn't have any other gloves. I bought this brand new pair for camp. And so I have to make a decision. I can't play with a cut in my glove. So I go to the trainer, ask for a needle and thread. He's like, what for? I'm like, I'm going to stitch my palm. And he's like, you're going to stitch it. Like you can't, That's, it's way too thick. You're going to do that by hand. I'm like, come on, please, can I just have the, the thread? So he gives me that. I stitch it up. I finish camp. We're on our last day. The coaches and the staff are calling everybody in one by one to say whether you made a team or not. And I end up uh, getting called. I go in the room, sit down at the table. The coaches are on the other side. And at that time, our, the coach 
uh, was Mike Mondon. And Mondo, he looks at me, he's like, so Rems, I heard you uh, had a little trouble with your equipment this week. What happened? I'm like, oh, yeah, I cut my glove open. And he's like, how is it? It's like, I'm like, oh, I stitched it back together. It's good. Like grandma taught me well. And he's, I'm like, it's all good. He's like, well, I got news for you. You're never gonna have to stitch your own glove again because you get them for free from now on. It just made Team Canada. And I was like, yeah, man. I was like so pumped. And, but that moment of like, you know, just that little moment of stitching the glove. And then that's how I discovered. I felt like after the injury and restyle motocross didn't pan out how I wanted it. It was like a euphoric feeling of, you know, internal celebration. And the first thing I do is call my mom, jump. She's jumping on the phone. It was, it was amazing. That's awesome. And tell me more about uh, your Paralympic experience. Uh, obviously going to the Olympics or the Paralympics is a dream of every athlete. Um, how surreal was this experience for you? And on the way um, through telling us about your experience, um, maybe share your best or funniest story uh, from Sochi. Yeah, sure. So like, you know, when I think about Sochi, as in my keynote speaking that I do, I'm always sharing three key stories. Uh, number one, my favorite part, or one of my favorite parts was the volunteers. So I genuinely believe that uh, next to Russia, Canada was a favorite country over there. And I just remember that the Russian volunteers were so friendly. They were always you know, smiling, they would learn a few words in English, we would learn a few words in Russian. So that was one of my top memories. Uh, two, you know, playing on the world stage is something I'll never forget. Uh, like I said, both, both being an elite athlete and also knowing that the entire world is watching, uh, the experience of chatting with media and seeing the support from home, that was always one of my best and favorite memories. And third, you know, I remember the moment of walking out onto the ice to receive the bronze medal and the smell of the ice was something I'll never forget, just how cold and crisp it was. It was the first time I feel like I'd got to make eye contact with the fans in the stands because we're always so focused on the game. Yeah. Uh, the, when I received the medal around my neck, the weight, just feeling the weight over my neck was something I'll never forget. And waving to my, my mom and my sister and my grandma in the stands after all we've been through was another like special moment of where your life flashes in front of your eyes coming full circle from all that I've been through to the medal, the moment, and waving to my family. Yeah. And yeah. then you wanted a funny, a funny story, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of, uh, well, I can't give all the details, but uh, the short story of something that was kind of funny that happened is, so there's the coastal village, which is where all of the hockey games are played. And it's right on the edge of the Black Sea. So the mm -hmm. coastal village and then the mountain village is like 45 minutes North where all the ski events happen. And there's a one day where I ended up uh, taking the, I forget if it was a bus or a taxi cab, but I went from the coastal village to the mountain village and I literally just couldn't find my way back. I ended up like wandering the streets for probably an hour, hour and a half. You know, I tried to take a bus and I took a bus the wrong way. And then I got off the bus at what I thought was a bus stop and it wasn't. And then the next thing I know, you know, I'm trying to get in contact with our team manager, but I'm on a Russian cell phone. I don't know numbers off by heart. Yeah. It's late at night. It's like 9 PM and it's the night before we're supposed to head back to the airport. And I was lost. And anyways, we obviously ended up getting back and I got all figured out. 
But um, it was it was pretty funny to just feel like I'm lost in Russia on the last day, and I don't have an answer about how I'm going to get myself back to the yeah. village. Yeah, and um, what was obviously you told us those three or four stories, um, but what are some of the best opportunities? Um, that you've got besides um, the Sochi Paralympics uh, for making Team Canada? Sorry, say that one more time. What were some of the, what? The best opportunities uh, that you got besides Sochi for making Team Canada. You know, by far, I think that being a part of Team Canada and the sport and Sochi has given me an opportunity and a platform to share my story. And I know that that's a privilege that I'm out my myself and my story is out there more because of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I feel a responsibility to inspire others, to help others with mental health and be a positive role model. So those that's, that's top of mind for sure. I think that it's given me perspective without question, especially even after my dad got hurt about uh, we only have one life to live that we mm-hmm. know of. And we don't know when our time is up, whether when we're going to be gone or when some tragedy or difficult time is going to happen. And so the cliche of like living every day like it's your last really matters to me in the sense that I enjoy taking risks in entrepreneurship. I enjoy taking risks in experiencing life and that we just should value that. So being a part of Team Canada and playing sledge hockey has given me opportunities to like I said speak to build a life to build a business and it's given me perspective on on how precious life really is Mm -hmm. and the full circle that you were talking about obviously uh even though you didn't get gold you did still receive a medal at the Paralympics which is something that everyone dreams of and how like after all you have gone through how great was that exact moment like you were talking about with uh, your family in the stands uh, and everyone um, in Canada knowing um, that you guys got a medal? Well, you know, to this day, here's another story that I'd like to share. You know, the medal's cool. It's, it's, it's sick. It's awesome. I absolutely love it. One of the things that uh, resonates with me about the medal is, you know, I came home from the games and Heather Moyes is another uh, Canadian Olympian in bobsledding. And she had, she won gold with Kaylee Humphreys in 2010. She won gold again in 2014. And I forget what happened in 2018. However, I was at an event with Heather after Sochi and my medal was like brand new. And I maybe had like one tiny little scratch, but I'm at this event. Heather has her Vancouver medal and her Sochi medal. And the Vancouver medal is like beaten almost. It's like, it's just mm-hmm. been like kicked around. The ribbon's starting to fray. You know, it's filth, it's dirty, it's scratch and all this other stuff. And so I was wondering, because I was wondering for my own self, just asking my own self the question. But I had people asking me as well, like, is it okay if I touch it? Can I wear it? Like, do you have stigma or anything around that? Because some people do. Mm-hmm. And I said, Heather, what's your take on this? And she said, I want as many people to experience this as I can. Every single one of those scratches, the, the dirt, like, I don't want it to get dirty, but like, the dirtier it gets, you know, the more it's worn shows how many more lives I've had the opportunity to touch and impact by sharing with the metal. And so that forever stuck with me 
that my metal thankfully is not beaten but it's definitely scratched it's definitely worn the ribbon's no longer super white the where it says sochi i don't know if we're going to be sharing video afterwards it's when you look at it close it's kind of like brownish a little bit now but for me what this reminds me of is every person that's gotten to put it on for a selfie or to touch it and feel the braille or the weight of it is another life that got to be impacted so when I think about the experience of like having the metal, it's not so much what it's done for me and it's given me an opportunity and platform, but to come back and share it with others to see and touch and feel it and experience it for themselves as well. Yeah. And that's a great take on the metal. Um, but after your time at Sochi, explain uh, what happened next for you um, with sled hockey. What, when I was uh, finished playing, I knew that I wanted to stay involved in the sport and help grow the sport. So today what I created is called the Sledge Hockey Experience. And based out of Toronto, it's a team building activity. What I wanted to do or what I do is provide a turnkey operation for a half day event uh, at the hockey arena, the Fort Performance Center in Etobicoke and provide everything for you because I want you, anyone who comes to play to experience what I felt the first time I walked into the dressing room as a Team Canada athlete. So we provide all the sleds, the sticks, we book the ice time, provide all the hockey gear, helmets, elbow pads, gloves, the jerseys, uh, provide a presentation in advance, like a, both the workshop and exercise and a little bit about my story to set up the day. And then we get on the ice and play. And it's a phenomenal experience. My goal is not only to provide or to build a life and business after sport that's still tied to sledge hockey, but of course I want to help grow the sport. And my, my way of doing that is, instead of grabbing one more person with a disability at a time to come play, I want to pursue the able-bodied population, help each of those people become advocates for people with disabilities yeah. to not only understand the sport, how, what it takes and how awesome it is, but understand life with a disability. And through sledge hockey, I get to do that. Yeah. And that's uh, it's great. It's a great way to, um, grow the sport. I know like in Columbus, we do um, like try sled hockey and we go to Blue Jackets games and the sled hockey team will play during the intermissions and things. Um, but what you're doing is a cool new way to give able-bodied people that opportunity to know what it feels like. Because I remember the first time I tried a sled uh, I, or a sledge, I was like, this is not easy whatsoever. And I have so much respect uh, for everyone that plays uh, sled hockey. Um, but now tell us uh, more about uh, your book and your motivational speaking. Uh, for sure. So if anyone wanted to uh, check out the book, it's available on Amazon or you can go to kevinremple.com. And are we doing, are you sharing video or is it just for capturing the audio? Um, yeah, it's just for the audio, but we okay. may share the video later on. Well, for anyone who does get the chance to see this recording on video, but for the listeners who are on the podcast, I'll describe the book I wrote is titled still standing when you have every reason to give up, keep going. And it's an autobiography, which chronicles the day from my dad fell from a tr the tree up until that one year post Sochi. And what I've done is written the real and honest truth about what it was like to deal with my dad's injury, my own injury, and my mindset, both on the, during the dark times, which were extremely difficult, but what I thought and said to myself to get myself out of that and also reach high the podium in high performance sport. So 
kevinremple.com is where you can go to learn more about the book. And if anyone wanted to check out what the sledge hockey experience is all about, the website is playsledgehockey.com. And you can see a bunch of the experiences we've put together with our corporate audiences, as well as some of the fundraising we've done to have raised $32,000 in the last couple of years and purchase 30 sleds for children with disabilities. Wow. And um, also uh, with your motivational speaking and as motivate, like as a motivational speaker, uh, what is your key message um, to listeners who play sled hockey, hockey, just like hockey in general, and are currently stuck at home uh, dealing with this virus and pandemic? You know, the, my speech is about the hero, what I call the hero mindset. And that stemmed from coming home from Sochi. Because when I came home with a medal, everyone, like I'd have audience members and just anyone often come up and say, Kevin, you're a hero. And I used to always, I, I would feel confused because I would think I am not a hero. I just, I'm Kevin. I'm just Kevin. I've just done a few small things really well. And so from that, from those conversations and experiences of what created the hero mindset keynote for me, which is about focusing on small things that make a big difference. Every single day, each of us have what I would call hero moments, hero decisions, and hero actions to focus on. Where in hero moments, it's about our opportunity to recognize that we may not be responsible for what's happened in our lives, but we're always responsible for what we do about it. And a hero moment is when you choose to accept responsibility for your situation. The second piece about hero decisions is to recognize that any large feat that we want to accomplish in our life, whether it's dealing with isolation to reintegrate back when things get normal again, to make your national team in, in sledge hockey, to lose weight, to start a business, we may have a vision of where this large goal is in front of us, but to know that it's great to see where we want to go, but instead of trying to see the whole entire staircase, just focus on taking that first step. What is the first step in your goal? And that's making a hero decision. And the third piece around taking hero action is that every single day we're going to be tested where we want to give up, where we have negative thoughts in our mind telling us that we're not good enough, that we should quit, that it's over. And we need to continually fight that. And by doing those, by focusing on what we say to ourselves in those key moments, that's taking hero action when we feel the fear and move forward anyway. And through Focusing on hero moments, hero decisions, hero actions every single day with the hero mindset, but focusing on small things that make a big difference. We can show up in our life and become a hero in our own movie. Yeah, and that is a fantastic message. And I know um, that's something I can use personally as well. And not just someone who uh, is playing sledge hockey. Um, and I think that can be used uh, for everything in life. Um, but to cap it off uh, for the final question, it's more specifically uh, for you because you do a lot of things uh, that involve people and you're doing the sledge hockey experience, you're doing keynote speaking. And like you said earlier, you're um, still helping people right now. Uh, but in the future, how does this pandemic change things for you? Well, one thing for sure is <laughs> sledge hockey is, is dust right now. I don't know when I'm going to have the opportunity to do team building events again. Yeah. But uh, what I know is that I'm not quitting on that for sure. You know, a lot of business talk is about pivoting. And so I think about 
if I can't necessarily run team building events, the first thing I want to do is create instructional, more instructional sledge hockey videos. Uh, it's forcing me as a keynote speaker to start delivering everything virtually, of course. And so I've upgraded my tech equipment. Uh, I love tech. Uh, I'm trying to constantly update and adapt how I communicate through doing more video. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, the situation that we're living through here is just uh, forcing me to become better as a speaker, to communicate more clearly, to look at other ways about how I can both grow the sport and, uh, you know, leverage the business in other ways that it can produce hopefully some income. And honestly, I just get excited about it. It's, it's about mindset. Each of us right now, we're faced with different challenges. You might be sitting at home and say, Hey, I'm not, I can't go to school. That's a, that's a, a, a battle for you to win. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's your front line you're facing today. Whereas some might just be, I'm an, I'm an extrovert, but now all of a sudden I'm inside and I can't hang out. And that's your front line. That's your battle you need to overcome today for business owners. It's adapting. Um, if you're receiving an unemployment check and you're, you're comfortable and casual, but you're bored, that's your front line. You got to win today. And so I just think that each of us have an opportunity to look at our current situation and ask, how can we become a hero in our own movie? What, what are the small things that we can focus on to make a big difference and set a goal for ourselves that's bigger than ourselves? Maybe not yet attainable very easily, but just ask, what is the first step and continue to show up in your life every single day? Yeah. And, uh, that's another great message. You obviously, uh, through all your experiences, you have a lot of wisdom and thank you so much, uh, for sharing that with me and with everyone, uh, today. Um, do you have anything else specific, uh, you want to add? You're awesome. <laughs> Just, you. uh, man, like, you know, it's super cool to see what you do in the sledge hockey community or sled hockey community. Uh, you know, I think back to how much I want to post on social about sledge years ago, and there was not much out there. And it's not just me. It's not just you. I, what I love is I just want to say thanks to the sledge hockey community for everyone who does share, because we are going to continue to be the ambassadors that help grow the sport by sharing each other's content stories, giving others a look into what is so amazing about our sport and the people involved that both play and behind the scenes that support those players. So I just think that it's super cool what we have. It's a special community and uh, thanks for what you do. Thank you, uh, Kevin. Thank you so much uh, for coming on. You got it, brother. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed that fantastic interview with Kevin Rempel. Uh, thank you so much for him uh, for coming on. And we're now going to get into some NHL news. Um, not a lot of updates this week, um, a little bit, but we're expecting a lot of information to come out next week, uh, more uh, return to play committee meetings, more board of governor meetings. Um, and I feel like there's going to be a lot of news coming out this week. Um, so we're going to have a lot to talk about next week on the podcast, hopefully. Um, but this week, a few things have come out. According to Pierre Lebron of The Athletic, um, it's really not known right now uh, about the draft, but it's starting to look less likely for a June draft because of the pushback. Ultimately, the decision is up to Gary Bettman, but as we're getting later into the month of May, it's looking less likely uh, for a June draft. But uh, Bill Daly, uh, the deputy commissioner of the NHL, said that there will be a decision this week.
Um, the return to play committee uh, met multiple times over the weekend, uh, and the NHL and the NHLPA has been making progress on a 24-team play uh, format, which includes Montreal and uh, Chicago, which didn't really have a chance to win the cup. Um, but it looks like there may be a 16-team playoffs, uh, but those 24 teams that would be involved would have a play-in to get to that 16-team playoff. Um, according to Pierre LeBron, his sources are stressing uh, that there's still a lot of work to be done, um, but this week has caused more traction, uh, but there's going to be more talks. Um, but there is a Board of Governors meeting this week, uh, and the league is expected to announce a decision uh, this week on the draft. That will be talked about at the Court of Board of Governors meeting. Um, and we're not exactly sure if they will uh, be discussing the 2014 format, but it is likely. Um, but they're also talking about, like in recent podcasts we've been saying, there's going to be four hub cities or four bubble cities. There's now being the possibility that we may only have two hub cities, uh, and each hub city would have 12 teams. Um, and people are throwing Vegas around. Pierre, uh, Bob McKenzie of TSN says, for example, Las Vegas, um, they could have a whole hotel or resort dedicated to the NHL. Um, the two-team hub city is also generating some buzz. Uh, maybe easier for broadcasters and things like that. Um, so that's the only reason um, they're still talking about that. Uh, but there's still eight to nine sites uh, that are still options right now. Uh, and that's what Gary Bettman uh, said this morning. Um, but obviously, there's you're going to read all over that there's um, only specific teams right now. Uh, like there's some sources out there that's saying uh, Vegas, Vancouver, Toronto, Edmonton, Dallas, and St. Paul uh, are the options that narrowed down. Um, but Gary Bettman's still saying there's eight or nine. Uh, so there's still some that uh, won't be officially said. Um, so I guess we just got to be careful on uh, what we're looking at. Uh, and there's always a few places that slip through. Uh, just like NHL trades, uh, you know, you hear one thing and it changes so quickly. Just like COVID-19, the NHL is moving so quickly. Um, but it looks like uh, for home advantage-wise, you wouldn't be allowed to be playing in your city. You'd be playing in the opposite division or opposite conference, uh, which makes sense. Um, but it looks like a full four-round best-of-seven postseason would ensue, like I said, uh, with the buy-in series. Um, I honestly think this is the right way to move uh, for the NHL. I mean, yes, the Montreal Canadiens and Chicago Blackhawks, they're really uh, new. Uh, they're not new, but they're new to the playoffs right now because they haven't been playing well this season. And I think it would kind of be interesting uh, bring hockey back and have the Lions uh, to have it all. And I think it would be great, uh, but it's looking less likely that there's going to be an actual regular season. Uh, so teams like 
Detroit, New Jersey, it's looking, Ottawa, looking like their seasons are coming to a close uh, as things move on here. But all I want is hockey to be back. Uh, that's why we're talking about it to fill the time. But I really can't wait for hockey to be back uh, and hopefully uh, have this season and present the Stanley Cup. And draft-wise, I think this was expected. Uh, I think... Gary Bettman and Bill Daly, they were expecting more people to like the June draft idea. Uh, and I guess teams uh, based on point percentage and stuff like Detroit, who would only get the option of going to one pick and or two picks uh, compared to the other ones. Uh, so I, I wouldn't think that as too bad. Um, I think it's right for them to wait. They weren't expecting um, the pushback uh, from the other teams, um, but I think it is the right move. Uh, anyways, like I said, not much news coming from the NHL next week. This week, uh, we're expecting more next week. Um, but for right now, that's all we have. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed um, that great uh, interview with Kevin Rempel. Um, also, if you're more interested in his story, like he said, go to kevinremple.com. The NHL, uh, like I said in our news segment, is going to have uh, some more news uh, this week. Um, so we're definitely going to be talking about it in next week's podcast uh, if there is news. Um, and we're also going to put it on our social media, of course, if there's big news. Uh, so make sure you follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Quarantine Hockey HQ and on Twitter uh, at Hockey HQ Podcast. Uh, you can listen to us on any platform and catch up on recent episodes if you're starting to listen to us just now at linktr.ee slash quarantine. Hockey HQ, and if you want to leave us a message, go to anchor.fm slash quarantine hockey HQ. Anyways, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it, and we will see you on the next one. Thanks. <laughs>